the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Can I add my welcome? Again, I think most of you know who I am. I'm going to move over here, because I don't like standing in the middle. Just as Saz said, we're in week four, our final week of our mini-series. We decided to add a couple of extra sessions on to 1 Corinthians for those of you who were with us in January, and so we've just shrunk uh, the book of Proverbs, well, not physically, but the four sessions instead of a few more. So we're jumping today, and we're jumping to um, chapter nine of that introductory section. So the start of, um, of the book of Proverbs, chapters one through to nine, They explain to the reader why gaining wisdom and avoiding foolishness is so important before you then jump on in chapter 10 onwards for most of the rest, but not all, but most of the rest of Proverbs into those two-line Proverbs that you may be very familiar with that cover all sorts of, of different things. Well, in week one, Samuel helpfully explored... What did you helpfully explore? You helpfully explored... Um, wisdom's motto, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That was part of what he was talking about if you were with us. If you weren't with us, all of the talks are actually online. In week two, Jen used Proverbs chapter three to give us a really good overview, I think, of how the people of God in Exeter, us here, uh, can use the book, can use those small Proverbs, um, those two-liners to help us in our own daily walk uh, with God. And then in week three, Simon uh, took a deep dive into the theme of anger and explored um, and gave advice on how we can sort of wrestle with anger. What does the book of Proverbs teach us about anger? So tonight, I'm going to do a bit of an overview. We've done the deep dive, slightly more conceptual perhaps tonight. And we're going to focus in on the last chapter in the introduction, which summarizes, I think, all the previous eight chapters as well. So in the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to do this. We're going to review the lives of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. We're going to revisit Proverbs' motto, the fear of the Lord. And then we're going to reflect on living well as the people of God. So let's start with the first one. We're going to review. So the poetic structure of Proverbs uh, compares and contrasts these two ladies, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. We meet these ladies in different places, actually, in chapters from 1 1 through to 9. But in chapter 9, they're presented together. And so they invite us, the reader or the listener, to compare them. The compiler of the book of Proverbs uses the ladies in a similar way, I think, that we see in some contemporary literature and film. One is presented as the hero and the other as the arch enemy. Sort of in the same way that Professor Moriarty is the arch enemy of the hero Sherlock Holmes. Or the Joker is the arch enemy of Batman. Hero, arch enemy. Compare and contrast. The dualism. There's a few more examples, hopefully not too age specific. Loki, arch enemy of who? Thor. Certain younger generation there, I feel. Captain Hook. Peter Pan. Davros. 
Now I'm just looking at the front down here, and they're all blank, absolutely blank. Slightly greyer hair at the back. Who is it? Doctor Who. You see, this is proper Doctor Who stuff. None of this new modern stuff. Okay. Lord Farquhar. Shrek. Okay. And then Blofeld. Oh, look, nope. James Bond. Some of the earlier James Bond. Okay. But they're all the arch enemies. Contrast that with the, the hero. For every goodie, there's a baddie whose values, whose attitude to life and actions are the opposite of the hero. So as Josh comes up now and he's going to read Proverbs 9 to us, notice how the writer presents wisdom and folly. Think about the similarities and the differences. The whole of chapter 9, please. Yeah. Wisdom has built her house. She has set it up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests <laughs> are deep in the realm of the dead. Brilliant. Thanks, Josh. Well, if you saw it in front of you, and I'm going to put up some of it up on the up on the screen in a minute. You might have noticed, just like in previous um, letters and parts of the Bible, that there's a certain pattern. And we discussed this when I was speaking back in November on 1 Corinthians 7. The chapter's a bit like a sandwich. You've got verses 1 to 6, describe the activity of Lady Wisdom. Verses 7 to 12, recall Wisdom's motto. And verses 13 to 18, describe the activity uh, of, the la of Lady Folly. And later in the talk, I'm going to explore that middle bit, okay? But we're going to go for the, for the bread on either side, or because I live in St. Leonard's, it's a panini rather than a, a sandwich. <laughs> but first, uh, the verses about the two ladies. How many similarities and differences can you spot? What is the editor, the writer, the compiler of Proverbs up to. What are they trying to make you home in on? Clearly, it's a very creative way of why we should seek wisdom and avoid folly, why we should trust wisdom and not folly. 
I'm going to give six comparisons. You might find more. You might think I'm pushing it a little bit on six. But let's, let's go through them. So the first one, wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. Wisdom here, I think, is presented as a creative and clever Knowing how to design and build her house, she's applied herself. She's willing to put in effort to achieve something. Folly is not organized, but unruly. This may suggest that she's spontaneous or flits from one thing to another, that she's inconsistent, perhaps, or lacks commitment. Right at the beginning of our comparison, we're looking at character. What is the character of wisdom like? What is folly's character like? By lacking knowledge and understanding, one may question whether the comments that Lady Folly's going to make to anybody are going to be helpful or trustworthy to live a successful life. And then we've got that strange seven pillars at the start. I think it probably refers to the uh, the days of creation, the seven days of creation. Some people may suggest seven is a perfect number. It's a special number in Jewish numerology. But I'm going to come back to it later on. And it fits in, I think, with what's going on in the middle of chapter nine. So next we read about Lady uh, Wisdom. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's set her table. But there's no comparison with Lady Folly. Perhaps that contrast between the effort and planning of the two ladies is there to be emphasized. Lady Wisdom appears to value her guests. She wants them to have a good meal. The meal created by Wisdom is not, of course, an ordinary meal because there's meat involved. And and in the ancient world, for most meals, there wouldn't be meat. It suggests, perhaps, that this is a banquet or a celebration, or at least the lifestyle or the success or the wealth of, of wisdom is high. Folly hasn't planned anything, hasn't arranged anything. Perhaps that's symptomatic of her approach to life. Maybe she's not been successful in life. Perhaps she cannot afford to host a banquet. I think the two portraits are deliberately raising questions about which of these ladies would you like to get to know? Who do you want to spend time with? Who could you trust for advice when you have to make a decision, that life choice? Wisdom success is, I think, emphasized again because she has servants. She sends them out as well as rolling up her own sleeves and getting involved in calling to the people. She doesn't sit back and let others serve her, but she gets stuck in alongside her servants. Now, folly, it's true to say, of course, she calls out as well. But there are hints, I think, of laziness, perhaps, as she only sits at the door and calls. It's less proactive She doesn't go out to the people. Now, did you spot their message? It's aimed at the same people. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says. It's those people who lack knowledge. Simple here means young. It means immature. It means lacking knowledge. It's those people who need advice so that they can mature 
They can learn to live good lives. And they're both in competition. Come to my house to find out. But what they receive in each house is very different. At one, that banquet, the food, the wine, and the other stolen or hidden food. In fact, that translation is a bit of an interesting one in the NIV. It's common for quite a few, but it could technically be translated, actually, uh, verse 17 could be, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Which is a contrast. So we've got meat versus bread and we've got wine versus water. One household gives their guests abundance and the other gives their guests the minimum. And then finally, we come to the consequences. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. But little do they know that the dead are there, that their guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Well, if you eat what wisdom offers, you will live and be full of insight, full of knowledge and truth. No longer simple. If you eat what folly offers you, then you won't leave her house. The dead are there. Her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. You'll be lost to this world. So this compiler, the writer of, of this chapter in the book of Proverbs, is using their imagination to personify wisdom and, and folly, to turn them into people, to explain the impact on our lives of wise advice and foolish advice, to encourage Proverbs readers to seek wisdom and avoid foolishness. And that sounds really good. But how in the real world that we inhabit, in our daily lives, in the decisions and choices we face daily, do we know which option we're faced with is wise and which option is foolish or folly? Proverbs is very clear that every choice we make has consequences. And if you're into existentialism, Sartre always used to say is not choosing is a choice. So we always face choices, whether we're actively choosing or passively not. So in our technological world, where we have access to literally millions of different voices, how do we know which advice we hear is good advice and which advice is folly? Proverbs' motto I think this is where verses 7 through to 12 really come in. And at the heart of chapter 9 is verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So in week one, Samuel explained how the expression the fear of the Lord was understood in Israelite culture at the time. In summary, I've used my own words here, Samuel, so you can tell me off later, but... The fear mentioned here is not about being terrified, being afraid of God in a sort of out of control, sort of irrational, emotional, panicky way. Rather, it refers to a sense of awe and wonder, a sense of understanding of the majesty, supremacy, authority, power. It's 
of God, that reverence towards God. Fear of the Lord is a recognition of being in the presence of someone who's far greater than you or understanding the authority. It's a recognition of um, that God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, has the power and authority to decide what's right and wrong, what's good and what's bad in his creation. If we want to, to know how to lead a good life, a wise life, a right life, then we need to act on God's advice. And we're going to unpack that a little bit now. So in Genesis 1, in the opening words of the Bible, we read in poetic form how God deliberately shaped, how God chose to design, how he structured the world. So in Genesis 1, we read a number of times, then God said, let, um, let there be, whatever. And then we get the words, and it was so. In verse 1, we read also in, of chapter 1, how God took a formless and empty earth. The ancient writer of Genesis spoke of how God overpowered chaos because the ancient symbol of chaos is water. And how God brought order to the earth, that God brought light and life when before there was only darkness and nothing. Reading Genesis 1 reminds us that it's only because of the activity of God that life exists. And that the order and, uh, and the order and life God brought to creation, God declared was good. Again, we have that repetition in chapter 1 of what God thought. Uh, about what he had done. And God saw it was good. So in Genesis 1, we get to understand that the word good means what God wanted to happen. So that's the basis of evaluation of what is good. And I think this is why the seven pillars that I mentioned earlier on in Wisdom's House refers back to the seven days of creation. In fact, we're in chapter nine. If you jump back a chapter to chapter eight, the book of Proverbs tells us that Lady Wisdom was present at the creation of the world. Let's do that. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deed of old. I was formed long, ago, uh, long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be, when there was no watery depths. I was given birth, when there was no spring overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth, before he made the world or its field or any of the dust of the earth. Lady Wisdom was God's first creation. Again, it's poetic language. The writer of Proverbs is using that creativity to link wisdom to God. So she was there at the beginning, as it goes on to say. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. 
you may have picked up some language there, which, in fact, John, in his gospel and in other writings, picks up about Jesus. This poetic poetic language in chapter 8 tells us that Lady Wisdom knows God's plans and purposes for his creation. And the readers of this passage are meant to understand from this poetic picture that a wise person is someone who knows and follows the plans and purposes, the designs and aims that God has built into his creation. A wise person is someone who knows that there is a moral order to the universe that was deliberately put there. A natural law, a God-given rhythm that humans have been created to follow. A rhythm of life which, if followed, results in human flourishing. Human authenticity that results in humans living in harmony with God. So a wise person is someone who, who... not only accepts that there is an objective moral order, it's not subjective. We live in a society that's primarily emotivist at the moment, that right and wrong, good and bad, are based on your emotional response. Well, here in the, in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, we have an understanding that actually moral values are not subjective, but they're objective. Their source is not our emotional response, but is actually God's intention. If you want a posh word, we can say God's telos for his creation. So a wise person is someone who not only accepts that there is an objective moral order, but knows where to look to find it, who seeks to live it out through the choices they make. To be truly human is to live by God's design. But I'm sure you could bounce back with me a question or something about that. But the Bible also tells us it's as the poetry of Genesis 1 moves to 2 and into 3 that God's perfectly good creation is no longer perfect. In chapter 2 of this poem of origins those in the garden are actually presented with a choice. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What happens to those who enter in Folly's house? Lady Folly's house. Death. What happens if you go into Lady Wisdom's house? Life in abundance. The writer of Proverbs is linking back to these creative narratives, these creative poems. God presents Adam and subsequently Eve with the choice to be wise and live or to be foolish and die. And of course, in Genesis 3, we read that Adam and Eve chose badly, that they were foolish and followed the wrong advice, that they ignored God's authority, his design. And as a result, as a consequence, because all choices have consequences, both human life and creation itself became damaged, distorted, broken. And because of their damaged, distorted, and broken thinking, humans today continue to make poor decisions. Instead of seeking to serve God and worship 
the Lord. They seek to serve and worship creation or themselves. And of course, we call those poor choices and accompanying actions sin. It's just a technical word for all of this. So while people think that they are wise in their own eyes, in God's eyes, they're foolish. While people think that their choices will lead them to live authentic lives, they sow the seeds of death in their own lives and in the lives of those around them. Why? Because given the choice, they entered the house of Lady Folly. So I think the book of Proverbs is is really an encouragement for readers and hearers to stop and think before any of us make decisions, to stop and consider whose advice we will choose to follow, to stop and remember that all choices have consequences. The book of Proverbs, I think, seeks to help us rediscover God's original instructions for a successful life by reminding us that by fearing the Lord, one can return to the true way of wisdom. And as I bring my talk into the, oops, into the final reflection, just as we come to a close... Let's return to my introductory illustration of heroes and arch enemies. I think in in many films, there are times when the hero faces a dilemma. Whether to stay faithful to their mission and remain a hero. Whether to complete their mission, their life purpose, their task. Or give in to the temptation to embrace folly rather than wisdom. Now, some characters resist that folly, resist that temptation. Others slip in it for a while, and others turn to the dark side. I've got a couple of examples. I'm sure you can think of more. Luke Skywalker and Anakin. Anakin turned to the dark side. We've got Frodo, who wrestled with the ring. Saruman stepped over was known as Solomon the White but not for that much longer and as Proverbs remind us this experience um, this experience exists I think in real life when God's people at times resist and at other times give in to folly I wonder if you can think of any examples from the Bible of people who slip from walking in wisdom Lots of kings, if you want to read Chronicles in particular, but Book of Kings, Book of Chronicles, you hear about good kings and bad kings, kings that started good and went bad, etc. Maybe famous ones who've, who've, who slipped, how far did they slide? King Saul, King David, King Solomon, whose many, many proverbs are in the Book of Proverbs. People like Samson and the judges who were there to judge But in the New Testament, even the disciples struggled at times. Peter denying his three denials. But it's not just in the Bible, is it? Back in early church history, but coming into the contemporary church. There are too many examples of those in local and national church organizations who followed Lady Folly. And I'm sure we may know family and friends who at times have been deaf to Lady Wisdom 
who've lost their fear of the Lord, either for a period or for longer. And if we're honest, I suppose, we need to ask ourselves, are there areas in our own lives where we struggle most with following wise advice, God's advice? Where we struggle to keep in step with God's created rhythms? Each of us will confidently listen to the voice of wisdom in some aspects of our lives. But in other ways, we may be finding it harder and harder to hear her. So I just want to end with just some encouragement and a challenge. Firstly, God knows that we have areas of weakness, areas in which we can be deaf to Lady Wisdom. But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we not only gain forgiveness for our sin and folly when we repent and turn back to God, but despite the pain and hurt we may have caused God and his people, we can hold on to the hope of restoration. Restoration with God And restoration, which may take a long time and may result in a new formed relationship with people that we've hurt in the past with God's people. And of course, it's important to remember that we don't face life's choices alone. We have God's Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. We have God's written testimony, the Bible, And we have God's local community, our brothers and sisters, together to work things through together. That's why we have mentoring in Belmont as an encouragement of people to learn from people who've already walked pathways in advance to share life together. So may I encourage you this week to pray that God would help you identify those areas where Lady Folly seems to be shouting louder than Lady Wisdom. And ask God for the strength to walk in wisdom each day as we navigate a broken, damaged, and distorted world and live amongst broken, damaged, and distorted people. And if we have that strength to walk in wisdom so that we can reveal God's wisdom to those distracted around us by Folly's voice. Thank you.